You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, everybody. It's great to see you, uh, those that are online as well as those that are in the room today. Uh, good to have you with us. I'm really excited about Easter. Even though we're not going to be gathering here in person, I think this is an awesome opportunity for us to invite people in our community, our neighborhood, people at work, um, our extended family to come and maybe share in a brunch, watch the message, the service, and then talk about it. It's just a, I think people will come into our homes this Easter uh, looking for just something uh, to fill their day with and maybe an Easter egg hunt out in your backyard or whatever it might be. So I want to encourage you to, to build some community uh, this Easter uh, as well. Well, we're in a series called Resurrection in Progress. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 11. We're be, we've been looking at uh, the story of Lazarus, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. And here's the deal. As much as I want to, to come in with a lot of hype around the resurrection because of that worship service that we just experienced, amazing, um, I also want to kind of bring in some like reality to this moment and how does the resurrection impact our reality? And our reality is, is this, it, we're broken. I mean, this week, this past week, we've seen yet another layer of brokenness in our nation. We've seen uh, people in our lives that have, that have been diagnosed with illnesses. We've seen um, people in our community that are, are struggling financially. I mean, there's just brokenness all around us and in us. Um, and I think this is important for us to recognize because sometimes in church, we can, get, we can overhype the resurrection to the point where everything's great. Life is good. I don't have any problems. Matter of fact, we, we kind of hide our pain and suffering often because of the resurrection. And so that's not what Jesus had in mind when it comes to the resurrections. I want to talk about that today. Pastor Bo launched us last week. She said a couple of things. One, she said, to experience resurrection, something has had to die. And the death gets on all of us. We're stuck in quicksand of sin and death. These are just quotes. Ultimately, Jesus doesn't save us from the hospital, but he saves us from the morgue. Super encouraging word last week, Pastor Bo. No, it was. It was an amazing message. But this is the reality that we kind of live in, right? Resurrection is such an epic word, though. I mean, think about this. That if Jesus raised himself from the dead, what else might that mean? And for sure it means salvation, um, uh, eternal salvation. Certainly it means that. Certainly that when we die, as Jesus promised, that when we die, we, we will be with him forever because of his resurrection. So there's absolutely the part of eternal salvation built into the resurrection. But is that all? Is that all we get to experience of life and living is, is eternal salvation? Or is there something that Jesus worked here and now through his resurrection? I love what Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote. Because of the resurrection, he wrote these words, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, nor anything else in all of creation could ever separate us from the love of God. That's because of the resurrection. For years, I believed that my sin and my shame separated me from the love of God that it created this huge chasm between me and God. And, and, and if I believe this, or if you believe this, what it means is that you don't believe in the resurrection because the resurrection brought us together. It brings God and man and humanity together. Even though the resurrection removed all these barriers, right? We still often struggle with sin and shame in our lives. Those dead places, as Pastor Bo talked about last week, we feel the condemnation and shame of our brokenness. And so how do we experience resurrection today? Well, John chapter 11, let's look at the story 
again of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus was sick, as you probably are aware, and this is as we talked about last time. And um, Mary and Martha, their her her brother, um, his bro- her brothers, his brothers, his his sisters, his sisters. That's what I was trying to say. And, uh, and so th- this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were, they had a home that the disciples, whenever they traveled through uh, Bethany, they would stop in this home. And so this is a family that is known by the, by the disciples and by Jesus. They are loved. Um, they're part of their family in a sense. And, and it says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, verse 4, he said these words, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Ever felt like that? Like God stayed away. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I need a miracle. I need God's presence. And he just feels, it just feels like he stayed away. That, I think the authors leave this in the story, in the narrative for us to relate to the, the tension of this idea of like, yes, there's resurrection power available, but there's also just brokenness all around us, right? And then, and then of course, we see what happens, right? In verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days, so Lazarus had died. And, and, and have you ever, I mean, I, Part of me feels like four days in the grave is like one pandemic year of restrictions where it's just really hard. And it's just like, is this the way it's supposed to be? And I think the, 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 that we've, we've, we can feel this tension of like, Jesus, where are you? Why didn't you come? You're late. <laughs> has, ever, has God ever been late in your life? Of course. According to our time schedule, right? According to what we want, when we want it, of course he has. And so there's this, there's this tension. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I've prayed that, that very prayer, actually. When my young, younger brother passed away many years ago, Lord, if only you had been here the tension of this, the honesty, the rawness of this moment, the struggle that we face. But ultimately, what we're going to see in this story is that the story isn't really about Lazarus or even about Mary and Martha. They're important figures, obviously, in this story, and we can relate to them. But ultimately, the story is about Jesus and what he's doing And oftentimes we don't know all that's going on around us. It's like we see through this, just this lens, it's really, it's almost myopic, but that's all we can see and everything else around us and behind us and in front of us isn't as clear. It's just like, this is all I see. My brother's sick or my brother died and that's all I can see. I don't see anything else going on around me. And that's, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need his perspective. That's why we need the resurrection is because we can't see or understand all things. And so Jesus told her after Martha said, Lord, if only, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? 
Martha, do you believe this? I think this is a pivot point. This is an inflection point for Martha, for Mary, for the entire family when it comes to the resurrection. What do you believe about it? What do you believe about Jesus? And I'm not saying it's easy to believe at all. It is not easy to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But I'm saying if, you, if, we, if we do believe this, what happens is that the resurrection of Jesus works backwards to begin to give us a new perspective on the things in our lives. See, when push comes to shove, when everything around us falls apart, what you choose to believe will determine how you walk through it. How do you see yourself? How do you see the sin in your life? How do you see the brokenness in your life, the illnesses that have happened, the anxiety, the depression, the uncertainty? Is it in light of the resurrection of Jesus? In verse 32, it says that um, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. So the other sister shows up and she says, Lord, if only, there it is again, the tension. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. What's, what's Jesus angry about? When I, when I, when I grew up in the church and so on, I used, to, I used to think that he was angry at maybe it was Mary for asking the question or for doubting or maybe because the people were sad and like, why would he be mad about that? And I was like, what's going on here? Why is he frustrated? And then, I, and then I began to realize, wait, so Jesus, son of God, lived in heaven where everything is perfect. There's no death, there's no despair, there's no depression, there's no anxiety, there's no fear, there's no illness. He lived in that perfect place then chose to come and live in our flesh, walk in our mud and deal with our disease day in and day out. And yet he knew that there was a better way, that there was another way, that there was another way of life. And he knew this. And then he's confronted all, I mean, daily with the brokenness of our humanity. And I think at some point he finally just, I'm just done with this. Is that, have, you ever, have you ever gotten to a place where you're just angry at the brokenness that we experience in this world? Two weeks ago, a good friend of ours, one of our staff members, Trey Anderson, who is our communications director, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer of the small intestine, and I was mad. My first response was anger because it's just, no, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be, and I think that's what's going on with Jesus. He's like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I think this might actually have been the moment that Jesus set his heart toward the cross because he was just done. He says, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go all the way for these these people that I love so that they can be free, truly free from shame and from sin and from illness and rejection. I just want want my people to be free. And so I I think he set his heart here to the cross. And then, and then Jesus was still angry, verse 38, as he arrived at the tomb, so he still got this kind of weightiness of just, just 
and, he, and, he, and there's a cave, this tomb was a cave that's, that was where Lazarus was buried was in this cave. There's probably other, other people buried there certainly and there's a stone rolled across this entrance and Jesus said, roll the stone aside. I just, I think this is interesting to me that I don't know about you, but I often feel like I'm living in a cave, especially in light of the resurrection. I feel like I'm, I'm living, um, I'm trying to hide, I'm trying to keep my sin and my shame just you know, away from people. I'm trying to sanitize my life and make it look better than it actually is. And so, and so I stay hidden. Um, I think we stay hidden because of that. Most of us live in a cave, trapped by our shame, not sure what to do with it, not sure how it relates to my faith in God. I, 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 I thought, I'm, I, thought I, think I'm, I think I'm resurrected. The Bible says that I'm a new creature in Christ, but yet I don't feel that way. I, don't, I live in this brokenness, right? And I think we try to sanitize our narrative. Verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, I heard preachers say it was good he said Lazarus and not just come out because the, everybody that was buried there probably would have came out with him. So he just wanted one person to raise from the dead that day. So Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Oh, I believe this is a word for many here, those that are listening online. This is a word for you today that Jesus is calling for you to come out of the cave to live free. But living free, listen, living free, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were still bound in grave clothes. His face was still wrapped in a headcloth and Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. What I've realized is that that last phrase, unwrap him and let him go, is a lifelong process. It doesn't just happen immediately. There is freedom when you walk out of the cave, but there is a lifelong process of, of God with others. Evan's gonna talk more about that next week, helping to unwrap the grave clothes, the things that hold us down, the shame and the sin and the brokenness that we all still experience. But, I, but, but are you willing today to take the first step and walk out of the cave? I just, I'm trying to imagine Lazarus laying there and just like, Somewhere from some, some weird kind of misty voice, he said, come out. <laughs> you know, and he wakes up and I'm like, was he tempted to like stay there? Was he like, no, no, I, I got this good spot right here. Nobody else is really next to me. I feel good. I don't think I'm gonna stay right here. I, I'm comfortable with where I'm at now. And I don't know what's outside of the cave anymore. I'm not sure what people will think, what they might say. I, to be honest, he may have resurrected my, my heart, but did my body come with it too? Or am I still in decay? I mean, what, what happens if they unwrap the grave clothes and I'm still not myself? See, I think fear could have kept Lazarus in the grave because fear keeps us in the cave. Imagine, imagine how silly it would have been if he did come out, <laughs> that he, when he came out, and, you know, in his hands and feet, he's like a little mummy, you know, I mean, literally, he's like walking out like this, you know, and then Jesus, unwrap him, and, he, and I was just like, nope, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm, this is the way I am now, this is super cozy, and I don't want to get unwrapped, just leave me alone, I'm going to be fine, 
No, of course not. How silly that would be, but that's what we do. We, identif- we start to identify ourselves in our brokenness rather than in our freedom. We start to think that this is just the way it is and there's no freedom for us. I had a paradigm shifting moment years ago um, when I realized that I wasn't just a sinner saved by grace. I, we call ourselves that and I, don't, I think it's good to remind ourselves that we're sinners saved by grace but we're way more than that. You know what else the Bible says that we are? We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he calls us. And I'm just like, I got that one wrong. Um, No, that's what the Bible says of us, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Is that mean we are right, we are pure, we are holy because of what Christ has done for us. When God looks at us, he sees us through the filter of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he accepts us as we are. Listen, that's the power of the resurrection here and now. One day we're going to spend eternity with Jesus, but here and now I can have relationship with God because of the resurrection, even while I'm in progress, even while I'm in process of being made holy and righteous. Jesus sees me. God sees me that way already. I had a revelation. It was like this thing, this, this theological concept that once was abstract became real to me. And listen, I can tell you from that day forward, there has been this sense of like, yes, I'm broken. And yes, I I, I trip and I fall, but I always fall into Jesus because he's right there. He's He's not a chasm away from me. He's right there. And that, and so some might say, well, well, are you just saying we can do whatever we want and everything's fine? I'm like, well, Yes, I am, but I'm also saying that I don't want to because the love of Jesus compels me to want to be more like him. I think the only way that Jesus would ever, no, he he never, even if I turn my back on him, Jesus is going to still be there waiting for me. I've I've said this before, I have looked. (laughs) I I mean, I haven't intentionally looked, but my life would, would tell you that I have intentionally looked for the end of God's grace, and I have not found it yet, and I don't think I will. Not if you knew what I've done. God's grace is sufficient. (laughs) I get born again and again and again every day. I, whenever I choose to walk out of the cave, I'm resurrected, along with Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Every time I choose to walk out of the cave of my shame and my guilt and my condemnation. From now on, therefore, Paul writes, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The behold, the new has come. So what does it take for us to live into that to not regard ourselves or anyone else according to the flesh, to be truly a new creation. Well, as I said, it takes you willing to walk out of your cave. Something interesting about the church, it's really, it's just, I think it's partly because of what we believe about the resurrection is that, um, and, and, and because we are new creations in Christ, we kind of think 
well, then that means I should act like it, right? And so when we're driving to church and um, I start yelling at my spouse and saying things and regretting what I said later, but, but then I walk into church two minutes later, my hands go up and I'm just the most holy person on the planet right there. Like, what, what happened? Well, I had to hide who I really am to be in this space, in this community. You know what that is? That's just living in the cave and pretending like you've been raised from the dead. Or it's keeping the grave clothes on. See, what Jesus invites us to and to truly live into the freedom that he has given to us because of his resurrection, we have to walk out of the cave, which means we have to tell someone. You can tell someone. See, that's the way that you stop holding those places of shame over your life or other, over other people's lives is that you tell someone what's really going on. Next week, Evan's gonna talk a little bit more about how we help each other walk out of our caves and take off our grave clothes, but I wanna encourage you today, instead of keeping everything hidden, your temptations, your desires, your dark sides, your joys, your victories, your dreams, your brokenness, the ups and the downs, instead of keeping that all to yourselves, would you be willing to open your life up to another? The book, uh, The Cure, I'm, I'm gonna mention it in a, in a moment, says the power of sin is broken simply in telling. See, are we willing to walk out of the grave with our grave clothes still on? With it, just, I'm not... Yeah, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I fully believe that. But I also know that I, the things that I, do, I, I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I, I, I should do, I don't do. And the things that I want to do, you know, all that. I mean, God help me. My flesh is weak. And I stumble and I fall. And are we willing to be vulnerable with our weaknesses, our sin, our brokenness, the stinkiness that kind of still lives there? Sounds risky, doesn't it? I'm not, I'm not recommending you practice this with your dentist, okay? So I'm not, just don't pick anybody. Um, but you can't be deeply loved by another until you choose to tr trust them deeply. And yes, it's risky. But I have found in my own life over and over and over again, I have found the embrace of brothers and sisters who when I am honest and vulnerable, not always, but more often than not, I'm embraced. I remember the first time this happened. Um, some of you that have been around for a while may have recognized this story, but the first uh, moment that I got the courage to tell someone my deepest, darkest struggle, I was in my mid-20s. We had uh, planted the church in Sisters um, back in the 90s out of Westside Church, and we had this piece of property. It's where Wellhouse Church is now, where the Foursquare Church is in Sisters, and uh, we had a piece of property, but nothing was built on it, so we put a tent up and did a week-long revival services. It was going to be great. You know, people were going to come to Jesus. God's presence was going to fall, and um, what nobody knew, nobody when I say nobody, it's not, I'm not being dramatic or anything. I just, nobody knew. Not one soul knew that I, for many years, had been addicted to pornography. And here I am, the pastor of the church. And so um, we're in this tent, tent meeting revival. Oh, and by the way, I remember telling this story the first time at Westside was the 
Sunday I became the lead pastor here, I told this story, and I had forgotten that I never told my parents um, any of it. And my mom and dad were just sitting right over here in the sanctuary, yeah. It was like, oh, that's probably not the best way to find out. Um, anyway, <laughs> it was funny to be, it's funny because, um, you know, this was 27 years ago, and, uh, you know, God is, continues to set me free, so it's all good. But anyway, back to the story. So I'm pastoring, and um, I've got this hidden, dark sin in my life and brokenness, and, um, and I'm supposed to get up on the stage and, and preach. It was either the first or second night. And I, and I remember just vividly, the worship's going, I remember it just like, like it was yesterday. I, I, I felt like I heard God's voice say, don't you dare get up there. It was one of those moments where I wasn't sure that if I had gotten up there, if Old Testament God would come up and just, shoom, done, Steve, you know, like lightning from heaven. I, mean, I wasn't sure. I was like, I, I could have got 50-50 on that one. So there's no way I'm getting up on that stage. And I'm feeling the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and I don't know what to do. The worship is ending. The, they're looking at me like transition time. And I'm just like, keep going. I'm not, you know, they don't know what's going on. And then I felt this sense that I needed to tell somebody. Now, if you've ever confessed a sin, deep, dark, whatever, in your life, you know that that can be one of the hardest things anyone that you, you ever have to do. Or I, sh- I would say you ever get to do. But at the time, it was, I had to do it. And I remember looking across the, the, the grass over to the other side of the tent, and there was this guy named Mike, and he was on our church council, an elder in our church. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to go and confess to him. And so the longest 50 yards of my life, you know, like the green mile, I mean, it was just like, I gotta go tell this man. And so um, we kind of walked to the outside, and I tell Mike that I've, I've been addicted to pornography um, for several years, and... Um, I can't get up on that stage and I don't know what to do. It was, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I had been in church long enough to know that that confession could lead to a, a board of elders meeting where they confront me and shame me publicly and, and do all of that. I knew that, that that was a possibility for sure. You know what Mike did? He reached out and grabbed me and held me in this awkward man hug for way, way too long. But it was exactly what I needed and I heard him whisper, I love you, Steve. I love you. I went through a process of restoration and and freedom and all of that, but let me tell you, that moment completely changed the way I think about confession. See, the worst thing that you and I can do, especially as people of God, when someone confesses something that they're thinking about doing or that they've already done, is to shame them or reject them. It keeps them bound up. Not only in that moment, but for every other moment in the future. I tried that once. Not doing that again. And they, and they, and they slink back into the cave. And try to live a Christian life where the resurrection is real, but they can't ever come out of the cave anymore. So they retreat. Instead, confession is an opportunity to love someone and to be loved by someone more. This is why I think when Jesus says the glory, you listen, wait, you're gonna see the glory of God. Because when people walk out of the caves and are embraced by the people of God, Jesus gets the glory. You will be known by how you love one another. 
places where God is actively working in this resurrection life. So Jesus, would you help us to walk out of our cave today?